Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. It's really good to be with you today. I'm your host, Matt, and we're here with a really cool guest, Blair Lemke, Young Adult Director, North New South Wales Conference. Thank you, Blair, for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Looking forward to our convo. Absolutely, man. Today we're talking about winning young people, and the title of our podcast is Winning the Youth or Winning Their Approval. Yes, that's quite a spicy title that you've come how up do you, with. How do you feel about it? You feel okay about that? Yeah, look, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great vehicle to be able to have a conversation about some of these ideas, the difference between winning approval versus winning young people to the gospel and not convoluting the two. That's right. So it's been my experience, and I assume from what you've just said and because of how we've spoken in the past that it's been yours, I've worked in youth ministry for almost two decades, that is to say, preaching to young people all around the world in various venues and contexts. And I've seen that there is a difference between winning young people's approval yes. and winning young people to Christ. Yes. And I have seen that a lot of times youth ministers and ministers as, in, as a whole and the church as a whole can kind of confuse the two. Yes. That's been your experience, right? 100%. And it's such an easy uh, thing to confuse because when we try to win people to Christ, we do uh, want to come alongside people. We want to be Christ-like to them, which naturally results in building relationship, building trust. And this can very easily be perceived as winning people's approval. And there is a sense where you do want to communicate that that Christ uh, is, you know, you do want them to approve of Christ, but then there can be a, a bit of a yes. gray line, an area where you start to maybe compromise on the teachings of Christ or paint an incomplete picture of Christ and who he is in order to win approval. And you yeah. find yourself maybe being more led by the spirit of the age than by the word of God. We can go so deep in this, but that's right. kind of the snapshot. Yeah, I think you've I think you've articulated that actually quite well. And we're all human and we all want to be approved. And there's a fine line between me really being winning for Jesus' sake and being loving for Jesus' sake and, and really just being I don't know how to say this, just just loving others. Mm. A fine line between that and me working really hard to do whatever I can do to be liked. Yes. and approved of, and turning ministry into this place that's about me. Yes. I look, and just to add to that, Matt, before I worked as a in a, the church setting, as a, in a pastoral setting, I worked as a chaplain for five years, and this concept came up quite in different ways in my school setting because young kids, people in school, in high school, they need more than friends, they need mentors. They need people that can teach them truths and mentor them along. And what I would see in a school setting is a lot of teachers and chaplains trying to be a chummy, chummy best friend and in doing so, missing out on an opportunity to be a mentor and do things that friends maybe don't always do in a high school setting. And I remember for some time I was working as a teacher and a chaplain together. And I had a lot of my different colleagues from around the, you know, Australia and different parts saying, how can you do that? How can you be a chaplain that's chummy, chummy, perceived as being a chummy, chummy friend always the good happy guy and being a teacher who has to discipline and hold people to account accountable to their actions 
And they saw a bit of a disconnect between those two parts of my role. And they'd often ask me, like, how, how do you find it being a teacher but also a chaplain? They, don't they work against each other? And I, I just found that that question really communicates a misunderstanding of what, what true discipleship is. The, the root word of discipleship, discipline, you know, you, you, discipleship, raising young people who are faithful to Christ involves an aspect of accountability and discipline that was like that teacher's side. But they were thinking, doesn't being a teacher take away the, yeah. the opportunity as a chaplain to disciple people? And no, I see it actually strengthening it. And young people, when they have people that hold them accountable or that are more of a mentor figure, they actually, uh, I found that it strengthened my relationship with those young people that I worked with. And so, yeah, that, I, there's just yeah. one setting where I've seen this sort of thing play out, that kind of dynamic play out. So good. There, Quentin Betteridge, he's the pastor of the Kingsliff Church. He said something to me that was powerful. He said that Jesus was priest, or he is priest, he's prophet, and he's king. And a king is someone with authority who kind of rules, right? He's a leader of his people. And that's what Jesus is to us. He's the king. He's our king. At the same time, he's our priest. And a priest is someone who comes alongside and he's your friend and he is your advocate and he's your brother. Mm. He's there with you. In the, in, in, he goes through what you go through and he advocates for you on your behalf. And prophet is someone who brings a message, just delivers a message. It, 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 so, so it's kind of that relates to, what you're, of, of relates to what you're saying. He's not just king. He's not just prophet. And he's not just priest. And in his own life, he said to the, something that I, I thought about that really supports what you're saying, how it, it was in Jesus's life where he said to his disciples in John 13, he says, you call me master and Lord, and you should. <laughs> And it's in the context of washing feet. He said, you should call me master and Lord. And if I've done these things, you should do them too. So he's not, he doesn't shy away from this idea that he is a spiritual authority mm. and they should relate to him as such. But then in John 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, but from this point forward, I call you friends. Mm. Jesus could be a friend and be a leader at the same time. And he didn't like allow those two things to be separated apart. And when I became an Adventist, just when I was first born into Christ, I could see that you had some people relating to the youth as authority and then other people relating to them as friend, but very few people were doing both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, that's borne out in a lot of different studies and these sorts of things that have been conducted in the youth ministry space. If I can share one that I've come across in my time in youth ministry, there was uh, there's a study that's been conducted by Fuller Youth Institute looking into how to basically be effective in youth ministry, this topic of the podcast, how to win young people. They conducted yeah. a massive big study, multi-denominational all across the US, hundreds and hundreds of churches and uh, over several years. And one of the things that they found as they looked into this study is that there were many uh, myths of youth ministry that have developed over time whereby, you know, if something's said enough times by enough people, you, it starts to become a bit of a folklore, like this is how you have to do youth ministry or this yeah. is what works. And, and as they right. went through and studied and looked at these, some of these, as they were studying these churches, they came across some of these myths. And I just want to highlight for you some of them because I think some of these myths communicate what you're talking about, this idea of uh, not putting the whole picture together of having that 
mentor, that teacher role, that loving role. So they, they studied it and they found that to be effective with young people in churches, you don't have to have, for example, a trendy location or a region where you have your church. You don't have to have a big budget. Uh, you don't have to have a contemporary worship service. You don't have to have a watered down teaching style. Uh, you don't have to have a hyper entertaining ministry program. You don't have to have an off the charts cool quotient. And all of, you know, these were, they actually identified 10 myths of youth ministry that people were doing and practicing because they thought that's what you had to do to be effective with young people. And what I find interesting as we consider this podcast topic, and of course, we use this resource growing together to train our churches across Australia. And in, in North New South Wales Conference, there are several churches that are engaged in this program that is essentially a church training program to improve the church's overall health and their ability to engage and retain young people. But one of the co- components of that is to look at what myths of youth ministry are you currently putting to practice in your church? And when you look at all of these myths closely, you can actually realize that underlying these myths is this this idea that some, I guess part of the uh, reason why some of these myths have been developed over time is that they are largely seeking to win young people's approval, to win young people's approval, to get them to try to, this is why, for example, to highlight one of them, this awarded down teaching style, there's this idea in youth ministry that in order to be effective with young people, you have to water down the hard, the teachings of scripture and to try to make it more palatable or make it uh, more appealing to young people. But in fact, it's we've found working with young people that young people love to be challenged and love to have something bigger than themselves to study into and to look into. And this idea that we have to water down the teachings of Scripture to be effective with young people, underlying that is this idea that it will be more appealing to young people to do this. And then we. this is some of the places, this is some of the ways we can start to slip into. Out of a desire to reach young people, we can start to slip into a desire or the practice of more winning their approval than winning them to Christ because we end up winning them to a, a version of Christ that is not that has been changed or modified to win approval and we're not running to them to the true Christ of scripture which which is of course the goal of any gospel minister and that's just one of the myths we could go through several of them but uh, underlying all of them really in many ways is this this trap of falling into winning the approval of young people rather than winning them to Christ and yeah research bears out what you have just suggested there that it's very easy to miss the whole picture in discipleship. And, you know, we're pendulous people. It's easy to, it's, we're not bashing on people who fall into these myths or these traps. This is just, I've fallen into these sorts of things. We all have. It's, but it's just, it's just an opportunity to allow scripture to speak into this space and rise us all up to better practice with young people. We all, all want to keep uh, and engage our young people. And of course, uh, it's, this is not just young people either. It has application beyond just the youth space. Yeah. Do you think if you focus on winning people's approval or winning the approval of of young people, that in a way you're appealing to the carnal heart? (laughs) Yeah. Look, 100%. And we all have that in us. That, as you noted at the start of our time together, I think of a text of scripture actually that comes to my mind when you say that. In in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 5, Paul is giving a charge to Timothy, his young protege, a young person in the faith who wants to be a minister and to share God's word. 
And he says uh, in this charge, he, he charges him to faithfully preach the word, to be ready in and out of season with scripture to convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. And then he goes on, he says, he, he, he foretells of a time that will come. And he says, the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, uh, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And he, he says, don't do this. He says, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And at, at the Paul's speaking to Timothy and he says, there will be a time where people, because of their own desires, because of their itching ears, the things they want to hear, will put up, they'll heap up for themselves teachers that say what they want to hear. And we can do this in the youth ministry space. I've seen this all the time where we share with young people what they want to hear. I hope that it will win their, they'll find that idea attractive. They'll find that you attractive. It will appeal to the carnal desire. But ultimately, this is, Paul says, don't do this. He says this will lead to their, them turning away from the truth and they'll be turned aside to fables. And so, yes, it is appealing to that carnal desire to be, to have approval, to hear what we want to hear, but not necessarily what God wants to tell us. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that as well. Yeah, isn't it to some degree patronizing to youth to assume that they need a dumbed down version of the gospel? If they need to be born again, just like everyone else, and if the message of Jesus is truly for young and old, then shouldn't it just be delivered clearly and poignantly, right? Like, obviously, we have to use language and communicate in ways that can relate to kids at their level. I get that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Speaking age-appropriate language, illustration, of course. That's right. Understanding where they're at in their understanding and ministering accordingly. But I think it's a bit patronizing and condescending to assume that kids can't be born again in a true and genuine sense and that they can't have an authentic and spirit-filled relationship with God. And so when Jesus says, let the little children come to me or let the young come to me, now obviously they're not going to understand everything that adults understand, but they can be converted truly. Jesus says, whoever falls upon this stone must be broken. He doesn't say whoever falls upon the stone must be broken unless they're 15 and yes. living in 2021 an age requirement <laughs> that's right he says and he says if any man will come after me let him deny himself pick up his cross and follow me he says in luke 14 if you do not forsake your whole life you can't be my disciple and then he doesn't add there's a caveat well unless you're 15 unless you're 20 unless you're 17 and it's 2021 the power of god can change a life and the power of god is in his word and I feel like we either don't believe in the power of God and we're manifesting unbelief in how we minister to young people, or we just don't believe in the kids. Mm. Like we don't believe that they can really be Christians in a true apostolic sense. We think that we just have to just give them cookies and carnal stimulation and that really, I, I don't think that's thinking highly of young people. I think that's thinking very lowly of them. It's, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my commentary. I was going to, I was more asking, starting with kind of a comment question to you on that, because I was appreciating the things that you were saying. 
and how you're articulating. But yeah, I, I first, I'll tell you a quick story. I was maybe 24 years old, 23 years old, and my sister started dating a Christian guy who ran a youth ministry at his church. And the church was a relatively traditional church, but he wanted to reach, quote, the youth. He's a very, he was a very wealthy guy, so he spent a couple hundred thousand dollars outfitting the gymnasium or it was the either a gym or just a social room at the church, just a big giant room. I don't remember because it was so long ago. And they started having youth worships there. And they bought into this idea that you that to win young people, you have to just win their approval and you have to give them what they want. And just like you affirmed before, of course, you've got to meet people where they are. And of course, you got to speak their language. And I get that stuff. But they were taking it to the place where they just thought that the Holy Spirit could not win a young person without an electric guitar or without club lights or without smoke machines or without creating a, quote, experience. And so they were using the tactics and elements of, say, like a rave club or like a a nightclub where people are getting wasted to reach out to young people. And some of the people in the church thought, all you're doing is conditioning them so that later in life they'll be more comfortable when they do go to bars. You're not really winning people in. You're just preparing people to leave in the name of Jesus. And you don't believe enough in Jesus to just preach the word and to live the life of Jesus and to love people like he did and to believe his spirit and his word is enough. That's what some people thought. But he was like, look, no, we're going to win the kids and you don't care about the kids. And they had that battle going on in their church. So my sister's dating this guy. And at the time, dude, I was a full on cocaine addict. I was a crazy cocaine addict who sniffed heroin every day. So I'm like a heroin addict, a cocaine addict. I'm just a crazy drug addict. And my sister and her boyfriend are like wanting to win me to Jesus. And say, hey, come to our church. And it's a really great place. It's not like other churches. It's just it's where like people can come as they are. And they're saying all that stuff to me, like all the things that you're supposed to say when you're a cool Christian, winning cool worldly people. And... I was up like all weekend from like a Thursday night to a Sunday morning. And so I, I went, to, I was all, I hadn't slept for three days and I was all coked up and heroined up. I hope there's not a lot of children listening to this podcast. And that's the facts of my past. And I had like drugs on me. I had like appointments to, to drop drugs off at people's house all day that Sunday. But I had a two hour slot. So I thought, oh, I'll go to my sister's, you know, boyfriend's church. And so I went to the church, man. And dude, it was so obvious that these people just felt so good that I was there. Like they felt so good. And they're just like, I could hear them whispering. Like I was like a hero. I was like a king because they got a cocaine addict at their worships. And then they can go talk to their other church members about how they're winning the cocaine addicts. And it was just, now these were, this is my sister, by the way. And her boyfriend, I still like the guy. Like they're not dating anymore. These are not people I hate. I'm not trying to put them down. But it was so clear to me, it was so clear to me, and it's even clearer now, that what they were doing was trying to win my approval. Mm. They thought I was cool. They thought I was awesome. And in a way, they were like worshiping me. And they were just trying to put a pair of sunglasses on Jesus and trendy clothing on Jesus so that I would be like, whoa, Jesus is a cool guy. I'm a cool guy. We're all cool guys. Yay, I can be cool. And there was no sense that there's no no messaging that's that was consistent with what Jesus said about the lost and about now of course they're not going to a true evangelist or 
Christ-filled person is not going to come to me and say, you're lost, you sinner, you evil man. Of course, they're going to love me, but they're not going to love me because I'm a trophy, because I'm like a cool cocaine guy that's now in their church, and now they've reached this kind of status that they were ascribing to. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, of course, they're going to be nice and loving to me if they wanted to win me, but the what I was picking up there and I've actually talked to them all since I've been converted and they have a different viewpoint now on ministry. And they even said, they would even say it like, yeah, we were, we didn't understand the gospel. Mm. Like we didn't understand the power of God. And we were trying to win your approval because we just thought you were cool and we wanted to be cool and formatting our worship this way. We got to be, you know, in with the rest of the world and that made us feel good about ourselves. Because we know, didn't have to stand out. We didn't. Yeah, as you're sharing that, it really comes to my mind. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough to attract young people? Or do we have to add on all of these frills and bells and whistles to hook and keep young people? Or is the message of Jesus, his call to, for young people to turn their lives, to repent, to be born again, and to live a life sold out to him and not to the things of their natural desires is that a message that can appeal to young people i 100 percent say yes it is and when we start or when i see like your story that you've shared and i've seen iterations of that in many different places as i work in the youth ministry space where there is this sense of just trying to yeah just appeal to a cool quotient like that that one of those myths of youth ministry that the full youth institute identified trying to get the just wear the skinny jeans or be have that off the quotient's cool factor manufacture an experience uh, that is uh, in inauthentic and or that is trying to add on to jesus i just feel like that uh, in my experience with working with young people it that's not necessary young people if you follow the yeah. basic commands of scripture to love young people to have relationships with them to engage with them to call them to scripture to teach faithfully the word of god young people love it they love it and jesus is enough we don't need to add on all of these other methods and i'm not trying to we, of yeah. course it's hard to communicate perfectly because it's not to say that we don't put in effort to produce an excellent program or to reach young people, but but Jesus is enough, is what I'm trying to say. And it's not even that we don't try to be modern. Like, I have no problem with modern contemporary worship services in the sense that I don't go into, I'm not finding fault with the fact that they had a certain style of music being played. But what I found to be awkward and strange was that it was just, it was a put on. It was just to put on. It was winning my approval. It, it wasn't like real. It wasn't, they weren't like looking at me as if they were sent of God to win my soul and to bring me to repentance in Jesus's name. It, it wasn't as if they really took God seriously. It was as if it was just like an exercise for them. And hmm. this was the thing that you're supposed to do. And I think it was just, it was inauthentic. And you use that word authentic. It was just inauthentic. It was put on. It was a little cheesy. It wasn't real. It wasn't. So they weren't like praying and fasting and then led of the spirit to like try to win me. And practically speaking as soul winners, really trying to win me to Christ and to the scripture and to a new life. It was like, they just, 
they didn't. I think I almost think that they were naive. You know, I you know, and I, Anyways, I'm struggling here because I'm frustrated that I'm not communicating that scenario as well as I should. But in Scripture, I think we see this reflected in life. We see this re- reflected. We want to be friendly with the world, and the Bible says, "If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God." And Jesus gives resurrection power, so that all so you do a 180, and you know what you used to desire, you no longer desire. And these people. They, they weren't appealing to the spirit that was working in me. They were appear, appealing to my carnal nature because they wanted my approval. And they didn't really understand conversion and evangelism and the power of God. And I feel like to some degree, to some extent, that they were, it was like we were talking before the show, is like the whole Aaron and Moses dynamic of the Old Testament. Like they were happy for me and for anyone else to death. So you've got Aaron, you've got Moses, you've got the Israelites. They're all freed from Egypt. And they're at Mount Sinai and they're making a covenant with God. And Moses goes up on the mountain and the people are getting a little bit freaked out because they don't know where Moses is. And Moses was their deliverer and they can't see him. They can't touch him. And they have a heart of idolatry because they lived in an idolatrous country for 400 years. So they're, they've been acclimated to worshiping idols because they've come from a world of worshiping idols. And so Aaron doesn't know what to do. And there's a big you know hubbub in the camp. And so Aaron makes a golden calf and he says to the people, hey, here's the gods that brought you out of Egypt. The people start to dance around the golden calf and Aaron's fine with it. Aaron's fine with it. Like, and in a sense, like he's won the approval of the people and they're all worshiping in the name of God, but they're worshiping an idol. And Moses is up on the mountain, he comes down and he's really angry and he's really upset. And he things don't go really well for the people who dance around the the golden calf. And I see this as illustrative of a lot of what happens today in ministry. There's a lot of errands out there who are just happy for people to dance around golden calves, as long as the name Yahweh is attached to the golden calf, as long as like God is attached to the golden calf. And they're pleasing a lot of people, right? Because there's a lot of people who are happy to dance around a golden calf because that's what they've been acclimated to do in Egypt. But God's trying to lead them to the promised land. And you've got Moses who's, hey man, let's go to the promise. He's leading the people to a new Mm. country to a new country. They're leaving the old country behind. That's the whole point. And so, of course, Moses has to take people from where they are and lead them out. But the whole point is to lead them out. It's not to keep them there. And these people who were trying to win my approval, they were just like, they were, the messaging was that it was perfectly fine for me to be in Egypt because Jesus is cool with Egypt. And Jesus isn't cool with Egypt. <laughs> you know? yeah, he wants to lead out of it. Yeah. No, look, I 100% resonate with what you're saying. I, a text came to my mind as you were sharing that. As you pointed out, this idea that it, it didn't end up well for the people who, for Aaron and for those who were dancing around the golden calf, they Aaron won their approval, but the end result, was is not good <laughs> it's it's Moses came to fix it up and it, there's a text that comes to mind in second Timothy um, chapter 2 where verses 14 onwards where Paul's writing and he's talking about approved and disapproved workers and which has a lot of relevance to our discussion here as we consider how to work with young people how to win them to Christ and not to their approval so he's talking about approved and disapproved workers and he says Uh, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. This phrase, uh, words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers, I think of Aaron. He's there, he's sharing, he's giving them what they want to hear, but it's to the ruin of the hearers. They're now worshipping idols and dancing around and they're not being faithful to God anymore. It's to the ruin of their hearers, but he's winning their approval, but it's leading them away from Christ. 
it's re- leading away from faithfulness to God and to his word. And like you said, as long as it, there's these idols of ministry, idols of youth ministry. And so Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, uh, be diligent to present yourselves approved to who? Approved? What? Present yourself approved? Okay, so Aaron's right. Approved to the people? Ah, oh, not to the people. Approved to God. So uh, what do we do in ministry? We don't do, we don't, in youth ministry and youth ministry in general, we don't conduct our ministry to approve, be approved to the people. We, it's, God's word says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Could that you know, those colleagues, those people who you were sharing about, could colleagues who I've, or situations I've seen as well, find themselves in a situation where they could say that they were rightly dividing the word of truth and weren't seeking to approve to men and not to God? I, I, that's a question that I can't answer. But I think that people fall into this trap. I've seen it happen. And it goes on. God's word goes on. It says, he says, Paul goes on. He says, but shun profane and idle babblings. Shun these words that are to no profit, that are to the ruin of the hearers. Why? Because he says, for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. So there's this idea that, you know, this, these words that are to no profit, they're babblings, they win approval, but they result in the ruin of the hearers and they increase in more ungodliness because it's not calling people to biblical repentance and to surrender to the Jesus Christ, the Lord of Scripture. Maybe they're happy with Jesus being the Savior of their life. They'll present Jesus as a Savior who can save them, but not one who will be the Lord of their life and call them to fall down and worship Him and conform their life to His standard. And, and then it goes on and says, this causes more ungodliness, and their message spreads like cancer. Why? Because it's like that text in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We heap up for themselves when things that we want to hear and... When we hear what we want to hear, that's a popular message. It has a good... Aaron was very popular with the people, but the end result is <laughs> increasing ungodliness. It's to the ruin of the hearers, and it leads people away to fables and away from the truth. And so there's such a high calling on youth ministers to, to, not, uh, to be an approved worker, not a disapproved worker, to seek God's approval, not to the approval of men or the youth that they're working with, and to call people to the high standard of Scripture, to paint the full picture of God's Word. Bro, one of my favorite passages in all of the whole Bible is in John chapter 5, and Jesus is getting into it with the Pharisaical leaders. And I want to read a few verses here because it, it dovetails from what you're saying perfectly. He says, to the religious leaders of his day who are having a hard time with his ministry, he says, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory or honor from men. Okay? So just I'm going to stop right there. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing the work that I'm doing because I want to be honored by people. Mm. But I know you. Sorry. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that is from the one and only God? So he's, he's saying this, in essence. You guys are all about receiving honor and glory. 
And so if a person comes in their own name trying to gain your approval and trying to gain the approval of everyone else because ministry is all about them exalting themselves, then you're perfectly happy with that person. But you don't have the love of God in your heart. So when someone like me shows up, who's just simply preaching the truth of God and seeking God's honor and to honor God in what I do and how I minister, you don't receive me. So you can develop a rule from what Jesus is saying here. People who have a heart that is open to God will respond to the minister who is seeking God's honor alone. Mm, yes. Wow. The person, the person, though, who has the desire in themselves for worldly honor and worldly glory, that's the kind of minister they're going to receive. So if you want to win a bunch of carnally minded people, then you yourself just try to go out there and win everyone's approval in the name of, quote, evangelism. And that's exactly what you'll do. And you'll create a world-loving, world-serving church that does not have the Holy Spirit, that looks more pagan than Christian, that looks more medieval than Jesus. So I feel like, yeah, that's a really potent passage of Scripture. And he's basically just saying, hey, I, as a minister, Jesus Christ, am not seeking honor from men. And that's the reason why you won't receive me. Wow. That's so clear. There's a lot of people he could have won, quote unquote, who he didn't win. Yes. Because he wasn't seeking their honor. And they were the kind of people who only understood seeking honor from men. And so they confused winning people with winning their approval. Yes. Oh, it's just, it's that's a perfect text for this, this podcast title. And as you're sharing that, this, this thought came to my mind that I've shared before around philosophy of youth ministry and and a lot of the time in youth ministry circles what we have done with youth ministry is we have had a desire to reach the people who are on the fringes of the church community those who are leaving the community of faith and that in and of itself is a fine and noble desire people were excited to see you there as a drug addict because you were on the fringes or maybe not even really connected and they were excited to see uh, that and so that's there's no major problem with that that we, we're trying to reach the whole world every yeah, that's good. tribe tongue and people yeah that's good so reaching but what we've done with youth ministry in the past often is tried to tailor programs around reaching the people on the fringes of the community and ask the question what would they want what do they like and then we try to make jesus or a program look like that and it's not always compatible and what happens is when you focus on those outside fringes and you start watering down it, it will be necessary at times to water down teachings of scripture to be it more appealing to that de- if you're trying to fit into the spirit of that demographic we focus on those fringes and what happens is where you focus on that's where you lead people to and so all the people in the middle who are committed start drifting out to what you're focusing and building a program or a youth ministry initiative around what i'm firmly committed to working with young people is to ask the question what would a converted consecrated young person want in a program and then or a program or event and when you focus on that you draw people in those people who are on the fringes or who are disconnected when they see a a radical picture of what it means to be a christ follower they come in to the inside and so uh, it produces the outcome that traditional youth ministry philosophy is trying to achieve by reaching the outsiders those on the fringes but it does so in a very different way and it does so not by seeking to win their approval but by seeking to win them as a person to the gospel of jesus christ that's right and win them to god and and have them through jesus's name be approved of god 
And I ask myself, and we should all ask ourselves, do I want people to like me more than I want people to be in heaven? And obviously, we should want people to like us. I want people to like me. I actually like people. Uh, there are very few people I meet that I don't like. And in my evangelistic ministry, in my Bible working ministry, in my youth ministry, I like people. I want to be friends with people. I like to have interactions with them. I care about them because the grace of God has helped me to. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. But when I want to be liked more than I want people in heaven, mm. then I don't work to see people converted completely. I just work towards being popular. And then really, in a way, I'm getting worship that only belongs to God in a sense. It's a little bit strange. It's, yeah. So I just think that's a really important question for everyone to ask. And Jesus's brothers, and this is the last scriptural reference that I'll just make and before we wrap things up a bit here. But I remember in John 7, there's a big feast going on in Jerusalem and the brothers of Jesus are feeling a bit of FOMO. Hey, we need to get you, Jesus, over to Jerusalem because that's the happening place. And if you're going to be the Messiah, you need to show yourself there. You need to show up at the big feast because you're important and we need you to be seen as important. So Jesus says to them, my time hasn't come to go to Jerusalem. And he looks at his brothers and he says, but your time has always is. Your time has always come. And then he, he basically says, because you're of the world and the world loves you. But the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So Jesus' brothers, they draw a clear line, or Jesus draws a clear line between himself and his brothers. He says to them, to their face, you guys just want people's approval. I'm not into that. And I've got a message from God, and this makes people hate me. Because I'm telling them what God needs them to hear, what they need to hear. And you see a delineation between Jesus and his brothers. And I just want to be clear that so that everyone who is listening into us understands we're not taking pot shots at anyone who's sincerely doing ministry for God and who's trying to win others. We're not trying to, to do that. We're just trying to establish a more biblical way of reaching young people and a more authentic way, a more real way. I think that's really our aim and our goal. And I'm not saying that you just walk up to people. And this is what people will do, by the way, Blair. I know that this is what people who don't like what we're saying in this kind of podcast will say, is they'll try to frame us in such a way as to, to make it look like Matt Parra, he's just this guy who thinks you should just go up to people and tell them, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And, and there's not like love and grace there. And they just define love and grace as giving people what they want mm -hmm. and winning people's approval. But that's not what the Bible calls love and grace. And of course, we should be gracious. And of course, there's many things that we should have that we, sh that we should reserve for another time and not say to people when they can't hear it, when they're not ready for it. And of course, we understand that. Like, we understand that and we get that. I think the tragedy of youth ministry is that people have labeled their approach to youth ministry, which is winning youth's approval as the gracious approach, yes, as the Christian approach. But it's not. It's not. It's just their preferred way of ministering because they've been convinced that you have to be trendy and cool to win young people. Mm. But I've seen the contrary. I was trendy and cool. And when I came into the church and saw these trendy and cool Christians, I thought that they were the least cool people in the Christian church because I thought, look at them. They're so weak in their faith. They're cheesy in their commitments to God that they try to follow the world that's lost. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Like you're not speaking and you're not acting as if you have a connection with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the divine ruler of the universe who is life and goodness and blessing. 
you're acting like someone who's groveling. You're like groveling at the footstep of the world and trying to be accepted by a world that hates God. There's no honor in that. There's no dignity in that. And as a, as a straight shooting convert to Adventism, I just thought, man, this isn't cool. Like, that's not what I wanted. That's what no cool person I ever knew ever wanted was a bunch of Christians to suck up to us. That's not what you need. You need someone to call you to repentance in Jesus' name and bring you eternal life, life that matters, life that's real, not the dead kind of life that you were living before. I hope you can make sense out of that. I think I'm speaking sensibly. No, 100%, Matt. And from what you shared earlier on, that idea, resonate with that idea that you said where we need to love people uh, more than we love their approval of us. We have to, and this is what we have to do with youth ministry. We need to love young people more than we love their approval of us or more than we care about winning their approval. And that will necessitate giving a holistic, biblical picture of God and basing ministry on the, the teachings of Scripture and calling them to the high standard of Scripture. And young people, I've found, respond very well to that. Amen. Listen, Blair, thanks for taking the time. I think we should do a part two here because there's so much that we could consider, not just on the subject, we could practically discuss what does it mean, winning young people, like what what are the elements involved in reaching kids for Christ? And it's not that we're like the expert of experts, but I've seen young people converted through my ministry, dozens and dozens. And uh, and I think, yeah, really ultimately the word of God has all the answers. So to begin Mm. and where we end. But uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time, Blair, to share your thoughts. It's been a real blessing to me. And I hope everyone at home listening that this has been a blessing to you. We want young people in the kingdom of heaven. And we want people in the kingdom of heaven because of our ministries. The way we do that is by honoring God first and foremost and truly loving people, not just loving what they think of us. And we've got to be careful that we never fall into the trap of just trying to buy people's affections and win people's approval because we are trying to be approved of by men. That's a dangerous trap and it doesn't help anyone enter into the kingdom of heaven. So keep that in mind, guys, as you live for Jesus this week. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week on all things evangelism. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. See ya.